Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And Shalom, and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hey, Shai. And Shalom, and welcome to uh, yet another war, retrospective war, uh, live from the ground, uh, live from uh, from the land of Israel in a time of conflict uh, and a time of great opportunity as well, a time of the light of Mashiach. You know, Malka, I've been having a little bit of a problem, and that is that I've had negativity in my mind. I don't understand why you could possibly be negative. <laughs> it's just been a whole bunch of marshmallows and rainbows around here. Right. So, you, so you're right. There's a lot of reason to be negative. Uh, you know, we we have all these dead Jews uh, in this massive attack, and then we just had today another Jew killed, not far away from here, right in Gush Etzion. And and there's a war on, and the economy is going to be sluggish. And uh, we have all these needs, our army is lacking, like basic thing, like 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 helmets and stuff like that. And it's frustrating. And then on top of there's that, political infighting a little bit, political infighting, not so much, but some. So some of the actors are trying to get back on top. Right. The the Yair Lapids. Right. Of this world. Are trying everybody's to take trying to. Again. Right. Everybody's trying to bring down Netanyahu and take over and. And and then and then, then you got uh, haters all over the world. You got haters all over the world. Then you have the realization, and we're going to talk more about it uh, in a big segment that's coming up soon uh, with uh, Mike Foyer and myself. Actually, I was interviewed on the Mike Foyer podcast oh, wow. for his uh, Jewish Heroes Project, uh, so or Heroism Project, Jewish uh-huh. Heroism Project. So we'll t- we'll have that in uh, in the middle here. But in any case, uh, the realization that. Hamas's real strategy, Iran's strategy, is not just to kill Jews and to destroy Israel now, because that's probably impossible for them. It's much more to alienate Israel through uh, social media and through world opinion. And only later on, as Israel's totally isolated, only then completely smash it and destroy it. So it's like it's like a thought out strategy. All that stuff is true. But I've really realized that and now I'm going to talk about myself for a second, is that my role is not to be like a great analyst. It's to bring Hashem's light into this world and and joy into this world, even though it's a joyless time, shall we say? I wouldn't call it totally joyless. But, I would not call it totally... Oh, I, I, I have to push back on you a little bit. It is not totally joyless. In fact, I would say that there are some moments that are really incredibly beautiful. There are so many examples. You have, of course, all over uh, Israeli television, incredible statements by all kinds of people about how you know they're feeling more Jewish and they want to connect more and they want to connect more to the their fellow Jew, no matter what their political or you know uh, worldview is. The people who want to connect more to God and in, in whatever ways that they can, whether it's right, wearing tzitzit or lighting Shabbat candles or keeping Shabbat or talking to their religious relative or whatever it is, uh, you know, learning more Torah. Um, you know, uh, here in Israel, we saw that beautiful rally that happened in Washington, D.C. Um, and the thing that made me the happiest about that rally was not that I felt like there were huge political ramifications and now things are going to be so different for Israel. I did not feel that way. What I felt was that all these Jews came together. They came together in one place, which they felt to be the seat of power in the country where they live. And they came together and they said, we are here and we are standing together. And people, Ishai, I saw people came on charter planes, Ishai. 
People came on charter planes from like Florida and California and all these places. And these are just the people who could come, right? There are other people who wanted to come who couldn't come for whatever their reasons were, right? So, so, so many Jews were behind this gathering of just, and it was, the message was pretty simple, which is we support Israel and we support our fellow Jews and we are Jewish. I don't think that that's a dismal. I don't think that's dismal at all. I think that's really, really beautiful. What of about, course, it's what about, happening. Uh, what about the tweet that you put out about uh, Batisiao? Right. So it happened to be. You know, you guys all probably know that there's just so much like content being put out right now. So there was a sh- there was something that I happened to run into um, on Instagram, a place where I almost never go. Um, somebody interviewed Matisseau on his show. He started a new show. I think it's called Avi's House or Avi's Show or something. And he interviews Matisseau, who is a Jewish reggae rapper who was really famous a few years ago because he was like a Chabadnik who was dressed in like Chabad clothes and he became like a really famous and he's a very talented rapper. Um, and he put out like like inspirational type music as opposed to like the dark side of that genre of music. Anyway, so so he stopped being so religious, right? And it was a little bit of a sad thing in the Jewish world. He was interviewed on the on the this show, and he's like, this attack happened, and all of a sudden it like set off in him this primordial cry which I think a lot of you can relate to. It was like, I must be Jewish and like, I am Jewish, right? And he was like, he didn't even know what to do with himself also, almost. And he, he was like, I, he's like, maybe what I got to do is like, you know, put my payas back, grow my payas back and grow a beard and put a keep on. Like I have to like be more Jewish. And that was the snippet that I saw from his interview. Yep. And you put it up. And, and, and I it, put it on it out. It's doing really well. And it's, it. and it's really, um, you know, charging people and inspiring and them and affirming long, them. He's feelings. got this long hair. So right, he's, he's like, got, I'm cutting my hair and I'm leaving my right, pants So again. I don't know what he'll really do. Right. But That's he was he talking about what he felt. He was talking. And I hope he does it. I really hope he does it. But um, he he was talking about like this this thing inside. And it's so fascinating, Isha. Really. It's it's. It's like so the other side also, it seems, of like the Holocaust coin, right? It's like we had this horrific nightmare attack. And then on top of it, Israel is really like, especially for a few weeks and for all, for all I know right now, was under real existential threat. And the Jews didn't go, oh, my God, let me just blend in. Let me just blend in. They didn't do that. They were like, you know. I want you to know, like there was all these, I get all these ads now for like Jewish um, jewelry in my different social media feeds because people are buying, they want to like show they, they're going to wear their Magen David. Like they never wear a Magen David, but now they're wearing a Magen David. They didn't have a mezuzah on their door. I saw one of the, uh, a Chabad on a campus in America where the rabbi was bragging that like all these kids called him and was like, put a mezuzah on my door, on my, on my dorm room, put a mezuzah on my dorm room. It's like the very opposite of what our, like our evil, disgusting haters think we're going to do, which is like cower, run away, scurry away, which is their style, right? We do our style, which is like, no, you, you think that you're attacking a Jew. I'm going to show you what a Jew is. 
I'm a Jew. And it's a really special moment. It is better that we would come to these agreements and realizations without these kind of horrific uh, incidents. But I guess Hashem is smarter than we are. And, and here we are. And the Jewish people, I think, are responding in an incredibly beautiful way. And I think that that's why you hear so many people talking about like, I'm so I'm like prouder than ever to be a Jew right now, because there's like a there's like an avalanche or what do they call it? A snowball effect where like it starts rolling and like other people come on and other people come on and other people like roll into this big snowball until it's humongous. Right. And everyone's like encouraging each other, it feels to um, to get on the get on board, you know. So I think that there's a lot of light, Isha. And, you know, this is a long haul, I think, this war. Every, everyone's talking about it. I really have no idea, but it seems like it will be. Um, it's a long haul event, and we're all praying that our energy will stay e- event, high. Event. What did I say? I don't know. I, he- I heard it differently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Long Any- haul. It's anywho, a, right. we're, we're going to be doing a, this. I call it a ground game. Like right, a schlag. Like a schlag, exactly. Right, uh, a, a marathon, not a sprint. That's right. Uh, but the, you know, the the video from the field shows that like morale is incredibly high by the soldiers, and and there have been a lot of events going on throughout Israel where they invite, um, where they invite families who either have lost someone. I went to a prayer event uh, of women, a halal. Um, there's special prayers for the new month, every month. So I went to the special hollow prayers and they had two women, two women guests. They packed out a, a whole shul full of women and there were two guests. One was a woman whose daughter was murdered at the Nova party. And one was a girl whose brother is captive in, in Gaza. So the, the woman who, who uh, her daughter was killed is, is from the area. And she, you know what, you look at a person's face, you know, when you, when you know that a person has been through something like that, you look at their face, you're trying to read, what is that? What, what does it look like when a person has been through something like that? And she, I have to say, like the, the, the thing that I really got from her is that she's not broken. She is very sad, right? Her daughter is gone. Um, taken in the the way that the, every mother dreads the most in all the world, God forbid, lo aleinu lo alechem. And uh, but she was not done. Like she came to this event, she came dressed in you know rosh chodesh type clothes, and there was dancing at the end, and she was smiling. And I couldn't believe, like, to see a person's face like that. You're just like, wow. Then this the the sister of this um, this guy who was kidnapped. She she came, she didn't look so religious in her outward appearance. And she was just like, I'm here to tell you guys that what we got to do right now is be happy. And I'm like, what are you like a like a Hasidic rabbi? Like, where do you get like such an elevated uh, wisdom from you girl in pants and a short sleeve shirt? Like, where are your where's your incredible strength from? And she's like, she's like what I, what I believe. And she's like, believe me, if I can be happy and my brother is a captive in Gaza, you can be happy. And I was just like, duly noted. Well, I think that's an end parenthesis for what, what, what you uh, interrupted me and challenged me on. And that's, that's, if you think about it, that's exactly what I was, the point that I was getting to, 
which is there is a place right now, I think a reasonable place, which is depressed. There's a lot of people getting sick. There's a lot of tiredness. I could tell you on my own physique, my own body, my own face, there's a lot of tiredness. Right. Um, a lot of people are getting sick, right? A lot of a people lot are getting sick. There's a sickness. Colds, lots of colds. Lots of colds out there. And the realization that we're in a situation that we're, it's a bit unprecedented. This is going to be Israel's longest war. Wow. And, is that true? How? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean. How do you know? Well. The the independence war was a year. The independence war was a year. But in, in it, it, that's, that was like a long time ago. But Israel's, <laughs> you know, in, in modern right, And that history. was a different, yeah, that was yeah. a different scenario. It was a totally different scenario. And it was like, it was it was kind of. It was gearing up for a long time to be a, a long war, and uh, here it's a bit of a surprise. Although, in, in any case, uh, in in people like mine's mind, the war is going to be longer right. than, than people think because I don't think the war is against Hamas. Right. I think Hamas is just one manifestation. Let's remember the last round of missiles that we fought. It was only Islamic Jihad. Wow. And the Hamas were staying out of it. Right, I in, forgot about in that. In hindsight, in hindsight, uh, uh, Hamas said that one of the reasons they didn't get involved in the last round was to portray themselves mm. as a more pe- moderated, more moderated, more interested in governance, more peaceful group. And it was all a sham. Wow. Remember, by the way, that Islamic Jihad is even a more Iranian group than Hamas's. Right. They're actually Shiite and, and all that kind of stuff. So this whole thing has been such a, like they really played us. So altogether, oh, my point is, is, that, is, that, is that the jihad is a bigger phenomenon, a bigger phenomenon than just Hamas. It's a big phenomenon and it's all over this country. Right. I and, also, it's, yeah. and it's metastasized everywhere. In all that, in all that, I have a feeling that God has been telling me Almost a little bit against my will, which is Yishai, get back to your joy, get back to positivity, get back to like spreading light and positivity and try to overcome all the sense of depression. I have a big plan here myself. If you think, and this is, I just came up with a new meme. If you think the Iranians uh, have a long-term game, God has got an even longer-term game. You know what I mean? If you think the Iranians are, 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 are clever chess peace movers god is even more of a clever chess peace mover and and victory shall be ours the 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 bigger victory in the meantime though you also have to be content with the growth that israel needs to go through the growing pains that it's got to grow through and what you said which is the miss many many endlessly beautiful moments that we've seen so so far there's been many pains but many many inspirations many inspirations like tomorrow's friday i'm sure there's going to be more inspirations it's just it's just what's happening now malka uh within that i want to also get back to shigra can we say the word shigra everybody shigra shigra which is which is sounds like uh sounds like a a, a fat and liver like faux gras or something like that <laughs> <laughs> how do you pronounce that did i pronounce that foie gras foie gras I can hear Eric making fun of me now, um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's shigra, which means uh, bidness. No, no, come on, translate. But, it for uh, me. Shigra means to shoot. Uh... Come on, shigra is the thing that you do every single day. It's the schedule regularly scheduled programming. No, there's a better word. La, look up shigra for us. In translation. Okay, well, it'll come back to us. So anyway, getting back to Shigra, whatever that word means, which means the rhythm or whatever it is, 
Uh, I do want to thank uh, all of our sponsors today. And first, of course, we have to start with Good Media. And there's JewishPress.com uh, and JNS.org. These are great English language news media. And I've now become involved recently with a new uh, um, Israeli uh, Hebrew YouTube page, which is now starting to broadcast in English, which is called Tov. Okay, Tov. Tov Jewish News, uh, uh, J- Jewish Broadcasting. So look it up. Uh, and uh, we I have, uh, I have Shigra. Yeah, what is it? The word is routine. 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 Fau, fau, fau gra. Shigra. Yes. Routine. That's right. That's right, Maka. So JNS.org, JewishPress.com, and Tov Jewish News Channel. Check that out. It's a, it's a YouTube page. Um, very excited to announce. Very excited. Very, very excited. Okay. To announce. Ex- I'm excited I'm to I'm excited too. I'm excited just to say the word excited. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to say that next week. Okay. There shall arrive, Bezras Hashem, there shall arrive in the land of Israel a group of students, Yeshiva University students, and I had the great zechut, the great merit to uh, help uh, get them going on this student-run trip to the land of Israel. Uh, and why I'm, are you so excited? I mean, it, it sounds wonderful, but what, why are you so very, very excited? It's my alma mater. And I, uh, I grew up there, and many of my best friends in life are from there. And I believe that Yeshiva University has a lot of kids that could become amazing Israelis or, uh, or a lesser level, but still an amazing level, you know, Zionists that don't live in the land of Israel. Uh, but, but I believe that there's great leadership potential there, and I'm very excited for them. And I'm very excited to be helping my, my, the people who look like where I was 25 years ago uh doing doing their thing and and helping them get on their path of of of, of building Eretz Israel together uh it's it's an exciting thing for me and Kuma was founded there that's my my 51c3 that led me on my path and it's just it's just part of who I am Yeshiva University is part of who I am uh I, I was there for seven years I also met this great lady there <laughs> you know what I mean I got married to her and that's you at Cardoza Law School part of Yeshiva University and, and I'm very excited and the reason I'm also saying this is because I got to partner with a lot of people including uh, Rabbi Mo Kaplan, uh, Mordechai Kaplan, and he uh, is um, the head of uh, Kaplan Custom Tours, and he's going to be the logistics uh, director for this whole trip, and he's planned out a whole amazing trip, and you can plan out your trip in Eretz Israel by going to mokaplan at gmail.com, mokaplan at gmail.com. Uh, also, there's the good folks at uh, Prohibition Pickle making delightful delights uh, of Ashkenazi kosherness and delightitude. Uh, you can also feed a soldier, feed a family, and and here in Gush Etzion and other places, a prohibition pickle is bringing Shabbat meals to a wives. That's right. Whose husbands are away? Right. It's a beautiful initiative. It's a beautiful initiative. There's a lot of stuff like that. And I know women who have received these meals. Sometimes it's like a big meal, and sometimes it's a small meal, depending on what a person can uh, wants to contribute. And even like the small, like the smallest amount. It really makes a difference for them. That's right. You see that they just feel less burdened to like take care of their situation with the kids in the house and the husband's gone and they're worried about him um, and, and get to enjoy some yummy food. That's right. Uh, so that is at prohibitionpickle.co.il. There are more sponsors and we're going to get to them right after this section, Malka. Uh, this section is, uh, is a little bit long. But I think you're going to enjoy it. It's actually the great and one and only Rav Mike Foyer. 
and I went to his studio, and uh, he hosted me at his studio to discuss a topic that I'm very passionate about, which is narrative warfare. Ooh. That's right. It's all about the narrative warfare. Me and Mike Foyer, uh, you know, he's awesome. Uh, and he right now uh, is doing something called the Jewish Heroism Project, which is at foundthejewishheroism.com. And that's what this uh, this interview was for. That's it's cool. For, Jewishheroism.com. Jewishheroism.com. You can't nice. stop Rav Mike. You can't stop yeah. him. Once once he's like once he's got a target, he like you can't stop that that's guy. That's cool. And I had a great time talking with him. And I think that there's some very important points here. So Malka, uh, just excuse us for a second. Take it away. That's right. And we're going to have uh, Rav Mike interviewing me in discussion. Really, let's put it this way: Rav Mike and Ishai Fleischer in discussion about narrative warfare for Jewish heroism. I am sitting here with the international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron, Yishai Fleischer. He is a podcaster, social media influencer, holy troller of the enemies of Israel on all forms of media, and a dear friend. Yishai, it's great to see you in my hometown here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I came into studio with you here, uh, into your den. This is indeed my den. People can't see it, but this is where I go to get away from it all. That's right. You can. I'll just leave that vague so people can picture what it might actually look like. <laughs> so we're here to talk about a number of things, but more than anything else, we're here to talk about war. And not exactly the war that many people, I assume, hear when I say that term, since Sahal, the Israeli armor, is even now smashing the enemies of Israel in Gaza. And please, God, they should not only be successful, but God should watch over them and show them revealed miracles. Um, but what we're specifically, specifically, excuse me, here to speak about um, is a different battlefront. Because I happen to know, a little bird has informed me, that you're working on a book which in many ways is the product of decades of spokesmanship, communication, debate, discussion on almost every platform conceivable. And it's a book about what you call narrative war. So I guess the first question is, what is narrative war? Well... Uh I'll answer that question, but beforehand, the, the term itself is has been used in different ways. People call it psychological warfare. Other people call it political warfare. Uh, other people call it, um, um, I don't know, uh, information warfare. And sometimes they say PR, and sometimes they say Israel's bad at PR, that kind of thing. Propaganda. Propaganda. They have all these terms for it. The The Russian term. For part of, of this is called maskarovka, which means like the hiding, the mask. It's for the same word as mask. It's which they are certainly masters of doing. They are absolute masters. How they, can you be culturally completely shameless and yet so good at hiding things? Uh, th that's awesome. You see, you see that? <laughs> They're really awesome. I'm already by confused. Way, by the way, uh, uh, look at the jihad. Excellent at attacking and bloodletting and then immediately playing the victim. Which I have to say, there have been several Eretz Nehederet episodes recently just roasting the BBC jihad nexus. And for considering it's not their native language, English, they've been very, very impressive on that front. That's right. They're really good at it. They, they have done <laughs> some brilliant pieces. But so so I, I came up with this term narrative war and because it's really about narratives. It's really about the narrative that, that you're trying to get into people's minds. In general, I've come to the conclusion that people live according to whatever narrative is in their head about themselves, about God, about about this earth, about life. So narrative war is an effort to get other people to have the narrative that you want them to have. So I may want to paint Israel as a colonialist, as an occupier, as a foreigner, as a white colonialist, 
And so therefore, I'm going to create a tree of narratives that's going to show that Israel is actually a product of Europe and is, and is white. And, and look at their guns as opposed to the Palestinian donkey and, and olive trees. I'm going to create a whole narrative that's going to fit into your mind. And then I want to say, well, Israel is taking my land. Israel is a, is a, is a warrior that's, uh, that's, that's foreign to this land and is now trying to uh, destroy my 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 indigenous life here and so i've created a narrative and if i could tie it into other narratives that work in your head that that works perfectly well so that was an example but the point is is that narrative war is a way to besmirch your enemy to create the image that you want for your enemy and to create about about yourself an image also you are creating narratives in people's head and it's a much more accurate term than all those other terms why, why so? I mean, give me a little bit more about what you mean specifically, because you're not saying propaganda. You're not saying psychological psyops. Right. What's so specifically powerful about the term and narrative? All, all those other terms are accurate, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not broad enough. And, and they, they don't. Uh, the word narrative is a, is a word that's out there in campus and, and in intellectual circles. It's a buzzword even. It's a buzzword. I mean, anybody who's listening to the show right now knows that I've been pursuing the path of narrative therapy for a nation through the Jewish story for for almost two decades. Sure. So I empathize. Sure. And and the Torah, by the way, is a narrative. It's a narrative. It's it's a powerful narrative about what Israel where it started, where it's going, what it, what its goals are. And that- so what you don't mean is false stories. Oftentimes when people say narrative today, um there's a sort of more than a small dose of that postmodern relativism, which is that you have your narrative, I have my narrative, and the implication is that neither one is real. But if you're going to tell me that the Torah, which I agree with you, fits into this narrative structure, then we're not speaking just about uh, fairy tales and your personal subjective perspective. That's right. Uh, part of it is and part of it isn't, meaning to say narrative is a big – that's why I like that term. It's, it's, it's a much bigger term. Narrative could be very real. Uh, narrative is – let's call it the software. It's the software that runs your, your mind and your, your whole direction. So jihadism is a, is a narrative. It's a, it's a software for your, uh, for your person. And Judaism or various forms of it is a narrative. Uh, and narrative can be used as a tool – Narrative is what wakes us up in the morning. Why do you wake up at six in the morning and you and you, you, you go early to pray? Why is that? Because you believe that's right. What does that mean you believe that's right? Because you have an image of yourself and what is right, what is good in this world. You have a whole image of you know the, the kind of life that you want to lead. We, we need an image inside to, to run ourselves. So I'll, I'll offer you this, is that my experience is that stories or, or narratives, as you're <clears> calling them, are the most effective means that humanity has ever found for tying together information, experience, and value systems. Right. Like you're saying, we're all trying to navigate the world. Information's flooding in it all the times and more now today than it ever has been, right? Well, that was, um, I was going to get to exactly that, that we're also living in the age of narrative. Right. Well, I, I think we've always lived there, but I want to just be specific. I think that information has become unmanageable. It's just simply too much. There's a deluge, right? And, and there's also experience the edges of experience have been blurred meaning once upon a time to experience something you had to go there now we live in a world where you can at least think you're experiencing things by clicking on a post that's and right seeing the but images that clicking is also when you click or let's say you click a like you're also saying this is my narrative yeah. or i share this narrative. now let me give you a, a, a tiny example that happened yesterday okay just yesterday so we're recording this the day after a big rally in the united states 
uh, for Israel. Saying that it was the largest rally of American Jewry in history. Right. And there may have been up to 300,000 people there. I don't know the actual numbers, but it was massive. Guess on which story you're telling. That's huh? right. That really depends on that. So I posted a picture uh, on, on, on Twitter. And it, you know what? It was one of these moments where... Uh, it was one of those moments where I sat back for a second. I'm like, what's the caption for this? Mm. What's the caption for this picture? It was a picture of this massive, uh, like, uh, um, a sea of for- Jews. Forrest Gump type moment. You know right, what I mean? Sure. Like, it's like, like a sea of, of uh, at the mall in Washington, D.C. And I thought to myself, what, what can I say here? What can I say here? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God put it into my mind, really. It was an interesting thing. I felt, sometimes you could feel a drop come down from the heavens. Sure. And I wrote one word. In Twitter, I wrote one word. I wrote mishpacha. Mm. That's all I wrote. That was it. Which means family for family, those who don't right? know. Everybody knows if you're in New York or mishpacha, right? Right, mishpacha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote this word. In fact, actually, I thought about that. The word mishpacha is, in Hebrew, it's mishpacha. But in English, mishpacha is just as strong of a word. There's even it's, a, it's broader in many right. ways. It's a bigger embrace. Right. It's, it's, it's like la familia. It's like, you know, it's a... It's well, a, I think what it does is it allows you to embrace people who, in many ways, actually don't belong to your specific clan. It's a declaration of tribe. Right. They're not necessarily wearing the same stuff. They don't even necessarily pray the same ways. But we're mishpacha. We're mishpacha, right. And comedians will say, come on, baby, we're mishpacha, right? It's like when a- I was in high school, I had a gym teacher who used to say, it's all right for you. You're a member of the tribe. That's right. So I wrote that word mishpacha. And also there's, by the way, the Haredi world, the ultra-Orthodox world, has a magazine just called mishpacha. Sure. Okay. So it has a broad word. I wrote this one word, no period, nothing. I wrote mishpacha, sent it out into the ether. And it, and it, it just clicked in, in social media. It just mm-hmm. went. And Twitter, which is, by the way, Twitter is the ultimate place of narratives more than even the other social media. And it's why it's such a sort of combative environment. Right, right. The Twitter wars. The Twitter wars or the narrative wars or or the X wars, whatever you want to call it. So it went went far and wide. Right. And and, and interestingly, though, here's, here's the part that I really wanted to get to, which is, so that post did well because I was throwing out a narrative. We're a family. We're one people. I wrote even a previous post, which I, I wrote, I wrote. We stand with you here in Israel as you stand with us in America right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, beautiful stuff. Interestingly enough, the comments, and I get a lot of negative comments from the pro-Jihad no. camp. And, but here's, the, here's what they said over and over again. They said the Jews are paying $250 for every person to come out. And so this is what $250 will buy Wait, you. Wait, where's my check? It was, but it was, but it was, it was huge. I saw that it was not a like one person or two people. Right, meaning this was it the had spread as a narrative, yeah. as a meme, as a, as a, as a, as a concept, whatever you want to call it. It spread out that the Jews bought out these these jobless folks to come out to this rally, which of course built on a much older narrative, which is that the way Jews exercise power in the world is through money. That's right. That's absolutely right. And so. And that's that. That what you just said right now is what I call narrative tree. There's an old tree of narrative way of thinking about Jews that they are obsessed with money, that they work with through just money. That's all they're about. It's all about the Benjamins. The Benjamins, she, as, a, as a congresswoman once said. She, she, by the way, is a great narrative warrior. I, I respect my enemies very much. She is in a, the the whole uh, a squad, what I call the jihad squad. Uh, they are awesome. Awesome narrative warriors. Well, let's talk but, about but, them for but a second. The bottom oh, line like is the bottom line is I, I'm just finishing up. I made a powerful narrative, which was, this is our family, and we're the Jewish people standing together even across the seas. And the instant contra-narrative was, 
you guys are all bought out. It's all about the Benjamins. Yeah. You're, you're the only thing that holds you together is right. your own personal interest. So there you go. That's narrative war right there. That's that's it, and that was that was a war. Yes, and it's and it's one which is being fought out. And in sadly, one wonders often how much crossover there is between the sides. Meaning, I often wonder how much are we preaching to the choir. You know, we tell the stories and people choose. Today they talk about a, a siloed information environment. Everybody's in their social media environment, which reflects back to them. It's well beyond what we used to call a confirmation bias, right? That, that when you do research, it's a very difficult thing to actually encounter and engage articles that differ from your thesis. So they always used to warn us in grad school, beware confirmation bias, make sure you read a diversity of sources, etc. But today, the the algorithms do it all for you. Right. Well, well, the algorithm can do that. It can give you confirmation bias or silo. It could also do something else, which is, let's say the algorithm is in the hands of somebody who wants to be submerged. Who has their own right. narrative frame. Right. And so studies are coming out that young people in the United States are seeing pro-Hamas. Ah, well, this is exactly where I wanted to go. Pro-Hamas stop. narratives. Stop right there. Go ahead. Stop right there. Because okay. that's exactly the next question I had here. Right. Right. Um, there was recently a poll released by um, by Harvard Harris that said that 51% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 believe that Hamas was justified in their horrific massacres on October 7th. Now, before we get to trying to take that apart, I want to really drive home what that means. Because remember, in today's era of information, these kids on TikTok have been exposed to the videos that Hamas themselves made. This is violence pornography. And I really think that we have to see it as such because Hamas didn't do these things to document themselves for posterity. They didn't do these things to raise their own morale. They knew full well that by documenting them, they would be able to target the Western audiences who would consume this on social media. And it worked. 51% of Americans between 18 and 24, college age, somehow looked at this horrific act and said, yeah, that was justified. And so my question for you is, how, why? How? How does such a thing happen in, in, a, in a world in which, let's remember that these students, that, that um, you know, it, should you threaten to trap an endangered bird on campus, they'll have a sit-in. If you, you know, serve general choose chicken in the dining hall, they'll pick it for a cultural appropriation. And yet, I'm not going to repeat what was in those videos. When it's displayed to them, they look at this horrific slaughter of Jews and say, yeah, they had it coming. So um, first, first thing I want to tell you a tiny story, which is I was on campus visiting uh, FSU, Florida State University in Tallahassee. Uh, about half a year ago, and uh, I talked to the young people there at Chabad, the young Jews on campus, and I kind of was trying to grill them, understand what their situation is like. So they told me that the most seminal event for them in terms of their feeling on campus was Kanye West. When Kanye Ye made uh, these anti-Jewish comments, that did more to change their whole atmosphere than anything else. Why? Because they felt that a lot of young people, more in, in the black community, were into it. A really cool influencer said crazy things about the Jews, 
that again, there's a bias out there that's built into a lot of Gentiles for different reasons, non-Jews, and certainly in the black community. I was going to say, that, let's remember that one of the great heroes of, of black national liberation, Malcolm X, right. um, was one of the most passionate anti-Semites of black American history. That's right. And, and let's take another guy, which is Desmond Tutu. What he, did a crea- he created a very powerful linkage. He had, he had the credentials to create a linkage that said, you see, the Jews of Palestine, the Jews of, in, in so-called Israel, are doing the same apartheid as I faced in South Africa. And so he did with, 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 those, with those credentials. And then on, on top of that, Kanye West confirming all those things, they basically have a narrative in their head, especially the black community, which is the Jews are white, colonialists, occupiers, and apartheidists. The Muslims and the, black, the, are the, the Arabs are the black not so far away from Africa, and they're the ones that are being controlled now by these Jews who took their land. They're basically an offshoot of Western colonialism. But why the age gap? This is what fascinates me. Because we're talking about, if you looked at that poll, when you got out of the 18 to 24 range, the numbers of people who thought that Hamas's massacre was justified dropped rapidly. It's like getting off the coast and hitting the continental shelf. Okay, so part of that is technical. That... uh, the young people are watching this this TikTok, and TikTok happens to be Chinese owned. And the Chinese, for one reason or another, which I'm not going to get into now, but they are showing studies are showing about ten to one pro Hamas things on TikTok uh, as opposed to pro Israel stuff. So the, our enemy, I mean, they enemy have a specific Israel, narrative that they're that filtering they're through, and and they have this very powerful thing. What I call, I have a nickname for it. Uh, I call it the Almighty Algorithm. Yeah, and 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 if you've ever if you've ever been within the grip of the algorithm, you know. That the algorithm is you live and you live and die by the algorithm, right? Like it will squash you as right. much as lift you up, right? Right, and and you can't break through that algorithm if, if the if the owners of the platform don't want you to. So, um, so that's reason number one. Reason number two is that for many years Israel has injected into the ether a weak narrative, which has not been effective. And when Tell you, me more. What's that all narrative? Right, so, so this is a whole can of worms. But basically, it's throw a throw away, man. Right here comes some worms. Uh, the uh, the the narrative that Israel portrays of itself is of a m- moral army, a, su- a superior army, but a moral one, uh, one that really tries to defend democracy and tries to give the other side as much as possible. And this all sounds nice and good. We're seeing it play out in Shifa Hospital, even Shifa as we speak. Shifa Hospital, as we speak right now. Uh, but that narrative, unbeknownst to our beloved country's leaders, is actually working against itself. How so? Because today, people want heroes. They want passionate people who are absolutely certain and, and cry out with without... Look at, look at the rally that we had yesterday. Our rally was this nice guy rally. And the speakers just never broke out of like a certain very... Uh, um, we call it in Hebrew, mamlachti. Very... Uh, how do we call Official. it? Official. Official, kosher. Nobody broke out. If you go to a Palestine rally, they're flipping out. Well, they're also burning things and rioting. I'm saying I they're rioting, but, but rioting equals today in young people's minds passion. And people like passion because people believe that if you're really fired up, that means you got a truth inside. 
Mm. You got a truth inside. And if you're like, if you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break all the all the vessels here because I, I, this is my damn land, and, and everybody can, and I'm willing to fight and die for it. People are like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's something to that. Now in the West, there's also a great lack of personal inner identity, and that's that's work of the work of postmodernism and progressivism and wokeism that has caused people to not have as much confidence in their in the founding narratives of America or, or Israel or anything like that. And so, so, so I'm finishing up a point, which is comes a very passionate, hyper-masculine uh, type of, type of narrative like jihad. And, and, and it, it starts to fit into all these pieces. It fits into a classic anti-Semitism. It, it fits into a, what we, you know, the colonialism thing. It fits into all these things. The and then it white touches versus brown. white versus brown and also it it has it has a aggressive passion as opposed to a kind of ninnyish soft uh not very um passionate type of israeli like we're moral and we're going to and the the bias goes the, ironically the other way which is like if israel's letting these guys pray on the temple mount in jerusalem for example then therefore it must be that the other side's got a truth so there's a, there's a very important piece here that I, I want to sort of dig down on for a second because, you know, on one hand, you and I have spoken about this idea that that in the intellectual West, nothing is more anathema than certainty. Right. That's that postmodern relativism that, that everything is is subjective and, and there's multi-narrative discourse and, and, and everything is sort of held at arm's length and, and the intellectual world values complexity and 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 really sort of sneers at certainty at the same time what you're pointing out is that there is that has left a gap what i might call a moral vacuum and and a, a, i don't mean moral in the high sense i mean the moral in the most visceral sense that the people still need to feel things are right and wrong right and and when you've so muddied the intellectual waters that especially, you know, of course, it, we didn't point it out explicitly, but that a huge percentage of the respondees to this poll between ages 18 and 24 are in American colleges, right, where so much of the sort of like virulent anti-Semitism is now welling up. So you're in the intellectual waters where, where on one hand, people sneer at certainty and, and, and uh, all the intellectual underpinnings, history, uh, even science to some degree have been sort of cast as a relative pursuit, but you're left with a desire for solid ground and suddenly emerges a moral contest. And there, it's the passion that proves the right. Your willingness to break things, to burn things. Right. And what I'm thinking about now is, um, you know, back in 2014, there was a perfect storm of narrative warfare that occurred. What happened in 2014? Let's, let's see what's on the top of your mind. When I say 2014, do you think? You're like, oh, how old are my kids right now? Okay, I mean, it wasn't a fair question. You know, here in Israel, most people, of course, think of the previous major round. I can't remember the name of the operation. There have been so many. There might have been a, a, a fair. No, that Cat was. Led it was and no, no, it was. Um, Shomer no, no, it was Tsuketan. Tsuketan. I don't remember what the, it was in English, but it doesn't matter. Right. It, was, it was after the three boys were kidnapped and right. murdered. And, and uh, the last major ground incursion before the present one into Gaza. But people often forget that that was also the same summer in America of the Ferguson, Missouri riots. Right? This, there was a whole 
police violence and, and eruption of, of violence. In many ways, the Black Lives Matter movement was born out of that unrest in 2014. And there emerged at the time a notion of from Ferguson to Gaza. Right. Right. That there was a a a union and that union lay in There's a word for it, which is intersectionality. Well it's, it's intersectionality is the intellectual piece, but this is not what I'm after. What I'm after is is how do you I mean, it's a big leap. Right. It's a big leap to speak about, you know, um, police brutality, assuming it's as bad as, as as people are experiencing it. I'll just assume it's as bad as it gets. You're still in a in a country which with foundational democratic principles and citizenship. Whereas in Gaza, we're talking about a war between two nations. It's a, it's a completely different situation. Nonetheless, the leap there had a lot to do with the sense of we want to unleash violence against the system. Right. Well, I was going to say I was going to say that 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 before we talked about and we want to feel justified doing it. We were talking about strong identity versus a, a soft identity and people yearning for an identity. But there's another yearning, which is what you're pointing out to now, which is actually chaos. And chaos is a deep seated yearning in a lot of people, especially people who are to some extent self-loathing. This is a term that I picked up from uh, uh, from the true believer. Uh, a great book and and self-loathing is when you basically feel empty inside you one of the things you want to do is you want to bring down the world as it is now the jews happen to stand for a world of principles okay it's it, it, it's a it, in fact in fact like if you want to look at uh, like like the jews symbolize god in this world sexual morality uh, you know, and, 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 and wherever they go, they become bourgeois, i.e. they start to build up a society and a life built on family. Institutional, that's right. So so when, you, when you're on campus and you've got that tendency, you're not married yet. Uh, the American campus has unleashed the physical pleasures and on top of that, the... It's what Ben Shapiro calls transgressivism. Yeah. It's a philosophy where there's a value in breaking the rules. Right. That's right. That's All right. of them. That's right, and 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 especially places like Colombia, where it's got that history in there, uh, and so, and so uh, Israel is seen now, and then Israel paints itself as not as a tribal people, you know, and a, a tiny ethnic minority, an armed ethnic minority on its land. It paints itself exactly in those colors of this like institutional, very neat and tidy, neat and tidy, uh, uh, antiseptic, a little bit. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In the hospital, is supposed to be uh, yeah, you know, sterile, sterile, right? And there's something kind of sterile about it. It's kind of it's very par of middle of the road. Just like that conference yesterday, a lot of people speaking like this and giving exactly the truth. And it's like, okay, you know, it's it's an almost a soft target. It becomes a soft target for people who are either looking to empower the jihad because they like its what I call the real toxic masculinity, or they like it for its chaotic mm-hmm. uh, uh, elements. And and now and there's a third component which is so important, which is the bad guys. In my mind, the bad guys, they work hard on narrative war. They work very hard to empower those professors, to make those videos, and to create narrative consciousness. In fact, some people are saying that this current war is really not so much of either a land war or a terror war. It's much more to get Israel to kill a lot of so-called innocent civilians so that 
Israel will become more isolated. And just today, I saw that little countries like Belize and Chile and these places are suspending diplomatic relations. And and so and so there's a there's a victory. I spoke to a friend of mine, a Muslim from Morocco. He says, yeah, there's a ton of hate for Israel right now. And and there was a different narrative that was being formed by the Trump administration, which was called the Abraham Accords. Brilliant term. And that the and the Makibapatish, the final great Whoa. strike of the Abraham Accords, was the mother of all Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia, starting to come to a rapprochement with with the Jews. No, that's definitely and so in and the so Iran right is like so Iran was like Iran and cohorts were like we must stop this, and the way we're going to do this is by isolating Israel. How are we going to do that? We have to get them to we're going to make a horrific strike. Israel's going to must is going to have to strike back. That strike back is going to be horrendous and. We're going to lose a lot of civilians, but within that, the longer-term vision is we're going to isolate Israel. Israel is going to be more detached from the world, and of course, Saudi Arabia is not going to be able to back Israel, who is now killing Palestinians at whim, according to that narrative. Okay. So, so th- my point is, is that they, they, the Russians thinking, the Chinese thinking, the Iranian thinking, these guys think about narrative war seriously. They really follow what young people in America think. They think about the stuff. We don't. Okay, we're, we're, we Israelis, we, we have a very narrow pass of what we think the world is. Hasbara. We got yeah. to sell ourselves, but we don't have to have a sophisticated, proactive, coherent projection of who we are, frankly, because as Jews, we can't even agree on that ourselves. That's right. So I'll give I'll give you an example that happened today. Today, today I was getting getting a talk from the uh, central command in the army, and one of the things they were really concerned about was so called settler violence. Now they're they're like we admit it's almost nothing. It's point zero zero zero. It's so small. But even when one person commits settler violence, it completely destroys our relationship with America. So I'm like, these are all narratives. You're, 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 you're stuck in concepts and narratives. Maybe you want to say, hey, we got, we got young people defending their land from jihadist uh, uh, incursions. And yeah, our people are out there to defend. We're going to push back. And, and you know, our people are, uh, we're not pacifists around here. And we're going to back our people because, because that's the kind of country where we're a post-Holocaust, itchy trigger finger, badass little Jewish state. And you better not mess with us. But like, they are not ready for that kind of narrative. So it's interesting that you note that because uh, we've had a bit of that discussion in my house. I say discussion because it hasn't always been calm. Uh, and my kids are of the generation here who are, are ready to fight. They're ready to fight. And um, when the violence first broke out and the uh, sort of hilltop youth who see themselves really as the guardians of the spaces that that in, in Yudan Shomron that, that Israel is largely abandoned, right? They started to put out videos saying, yeah, don't mess with us. Right. We're coming for you, right? And, and I remember part of me was revolted. It's not who we are. We're not vigilantes. You know? But as things began to unfold, I realized, well, first of all, that is a very strong narrative in my mind. Uh, second of all, we need deterrence. But more than anything else, what I saw in my children was a pride in the ability of Jews, not just, oh, we've, we've gained the ability to defend ourselves, but that's who we are. We're people who are not to be messed with, right? And, 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 and that is a perfectly excellent narrative, one that was shared by the original Maccabees, one was that was shared by King David, one was shared by, by, by all kinds of people throughout time, which is the Jew is not somebody to trifle with. Well, and it was shared by someone else, and I want to share a quote with you, which... which 
often troubles me in light of the emphasis that we're placing on narrative war, and I share your belief in its importance. It's quote by Ben Gurion, who is another person who believes that the Jews shouldn't be messed with, you know, and he famously said in in, in regards to the United Nations which is like a whole realm that maybe we could go to, maybe not. Um, he says, what matter isn't what the non-Jews say, but what the Jews do. Now, doesn't that undermine the importance of narrative warfare altogether? I mean, on some level, do you ever feel like maybe we're just giving too much credence to a bunch of teenagers on TikTok and, uh, and some sort of overpaid, tenured professors who you know are the most privileged people on planet Earth? Let's just remember that. If you're a professor or a student at an Ivy League university in the United States, you're at the pinnacle of privilege in the world. And so to, therefore to sort of preach about the righteousness of the struggle and the oppressed is a, a little bit suggestive of some internal issues. Maybe it should just be dismissed. Maybe this whole narrative warfare piece is a red herring and we should just simply do what needs to be done. Okay. So l- l- let me parse it out. Uh, uh, in large measure, I even agree with that. Narrative war does not necessarily mean that we have to fight narrative war. It means uh, uh, understand what is being arraigned against you. First thing is is understand the, the theater of operations. Know your uh, enemy. Right. Know, know what's going on. Understand what's going on, what they're trying to do. So understand now that TikTok and CNN and all these players are actually engaged in narrative war. A decision that you say, I don't care what you guys are saying, is a battle in narrative war. It's just that you're saying, I recognize your your trick, your 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 what you're trying to do to me, and I'm aware of it. I'm going to turn off the tube, and I'm going to turn off the tube and do what I need. That is an that is a narrative war effort. It's just it, it's 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 a type of armor. It's a type of armor in war. You're like, I am now armed against that. I understand what you're doing. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm going to kick you. I'm going to kick the media out of the country. I'm going to shut down cellular service because I don't want, you know, Gaza to, to, to broadcast it out. So that is narrative war. Meaning to say, I understand what, what your what your tools of war are, and I'm going to deprive block, you of them. Deprive you of them, and I'm not going to pay attention to much of them. I'm not going to become the guy who really, really wants to make sure that the American government likes me exactly. Maybe I actually want a different narrative. Maybe I want them to think that I am... That I am uh, a fierce a nation that dwells alone, right? A nation that dwells alone. That I'm fierce, and that and that you don't trifle with the Jews. That kind of thing. That is a narrative. Another aspect of that is that what I just said now is a narrative internally. To say I don't care what you're saying is a is a posture. It's a mental posture. It's a narrative. It's an internal narrative, which is you 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 use the term just now. A nation that dwells alone. Where did that come from? Well, that's a Torah term. That's a Torah term. comes from our greatest enemy in the Torah. Okay, but he, but 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 but, but, but he that saw is a, well. But you invoked when I was talking about you invoked a narrative, which is there is this phrase. This phrase is something about me and how I approach the world. I'm a nation that dwells alone. That's also a narrative war. So we pause for a second because I want to clarify there that, that really what you're pointing out is that the primary battlefield for a narrative is one's inner consciousness, and and that like you said, if narratives are are what get you up out of bed in the morning. That, that the battle that everyone needs to really fight is clarifying, well, who are we as a people? What is it that we're attempting to accomplish in the world today? And, and what's our vision that's driving us? And once you do that, so you can engage on TikTok and CNN and whatnot or not. Or not. Right. And then, and then another aspect of it is what actually do people like? Okay. What do you mean? Okay. So I ask a question of my friends on the left always. I say to them, I'm just asking you a scientific question, which is when was Israel liked more? The day after the Six Day War or the day after the Oslo Accords? 
And the answer is the day after the Six Day War, our our okay. image in the world went up and up and up. And the day after the Oslo Accords, just to remind folks listening, is when we gave away parts of our land, created Nominally a Palestinian authority, made peace with our enemies, but but mostly by by letting terrorists take over our land and then thereby right. facing wars, as opposed to victory. In so 67. then from then on, people just started seeing us as weak, spineless, giving away our land. So I'm always saying one of the narratives is Israel is strong knows its borders, pushes back on jihadism, and people will like you better. And this is a mistake that liberals or progressives make all the time. As people actually like you better when you are cocksure of yourself and aggressive and clear about what your land is and what you're what you know what you're doing. And so that's also these are all these are all narratives. So one narrative is I don't care what you're gonna say, because I know my truth. But ironically is when you take that stance, that's actually a good narrative. People like that. People respect that. That's why they respect Hamas today. Because, sickly enough, Hamas is seen as really sure of itself, oh, yes. willing willing to do crazy things for whatever their vision, their ideology is. And there's the other stuff that we talked about: chaos and 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 mass and hyper masculinity. Yes, but the bottom line is is that they are very clear about their goal, and it's a total goal. It's a clear and total goal. And our goals are oftentimes half goals. We're like, no, Jerusalem is our eternal capital, but the other people have a mosque up there. So that's really important because we're also people that lets other people pray. And this, so our, our narrative sounds unclear, ninny-ish, is not compact into a tight sentence. You can't make an elevator pitch out of it. Theirs is. Uh, and what you said, the other side of it, which is to recognize that, that, that the other side that maybe we want to, don't want to listen to them, that we want to portray ourselves as, as tough and badass and all that, that's also a narrative, and I think a much more successful one. You know, I can't avoid noting that there is an inherent complexity and diversity of perspective within Judaism. Meaning, we're people, aside from all the jokes about, you know, two Jews, three opinions, and etc., but um, one of the foundational aspects of rabbinic thought, which for the last, you know, let's give it 20, 2,500 years, right, has been an essential aspect, a central vessel for our spiritual being, is machloket, right? Is, is we would call it constructive conflict, right? So, so therefore, is it really possible for the Jews to project an elevator pitch and the type of fanatical clarity i mean it's it's all well and good and i understand what you mean about that clarity but that that clarity is um empty and soulless in many ways because it has only one voice we're a multivocal people how as a multivocal people people who don't just value in the abstract diversity but actually as a lived experience and let's not forget of course that 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 um literally the week before our enemies ripped a chunk out of the body of Israel, we were fighting each other in the streets. Part of that was, I would say, a constructive conflict. And part of it is the other side, which is the hatred between Jews, that tribalism that goes over the edge. But I think no one would deny that, that a diversity of perspective is almost inherent to the Jewish people. So what are we meant to do with that in light of the sort of... Um, value that you're placing in narrative warfare on the ability to project clarity to the world so that's a great question and and the reason it's a good question is because it's actually um a problem that we face in narrative war and that we 
we just don't speak with one voice, with one clarity, and we don't have what's called in, in the PR world message discipline. We are not the people of message discipline. <laughs> and we're about as far from message right, discipline. We're not people the people get. of message discipline. And <clears throat> that's why a lot of times we reach out to the lowest common de- denominator for message discipline, and that brings out a weak message because we're not, we're not, we're, we're coming down to something we could all agree on, you know, just fighting Hamas. So, okay, we can agree to that and not the bigger problem. Just be clear that meaning avoiding the fact that jihadism, that Hamas is a, is a, an arm of a much larger, larger phenomenon. Yeah, and that the PLOPA is the same exact thing and that jihadism is spread to, to Israeli Arab cities, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yes, the Jewish people are a people of dialogue, discourse, um, and, and our central book really is the Talmud, which is a book that every page is filled with disagreements and arguments. And so that doesn't make for a great message discipline. On the other hand, I'm not, I'm not really, yeah. <laughs> you realize yeah. what you just did. Yeah. People could have just seen the look on your yeah. face and yeah. a hand went up. You're on the other, <laughs> on the other hand, what I'm offering here is, is not something that really needs to be much disagreed upon because we're talking about something that's actually pretty plain. And here you have to put on your, you have to have, as a Jew and as a, and as a person in the Middle East, you have to have different gears. And so one gear is this, what you described, this, this Jew of discourse and dialect. But then there's another uh, gear, which is the Jew as a Middle Eastern person. And the simple fact is the Jews have a right to, and every peoples in this region, the tribes have a right to safe borders and not to have Nazism, jihadism within their borders. And not to have people pull out a gun and put it to your head. There's really no need to debate that question. No Jews really want guys with AK-47s raping and murdering our peoplehood. And so, and so there are certain things that you can agree on. They're the things that they're the the book can be full of disagreements, but the fact that the book has hardcover on on both sides of it is is something that you really need to make the book have the rest of the disagreements. And so, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about ending our discussion about the how much religion and state should meet i'm talking about bad guys are in your land they are working to undermine your jewish state and so let's identify them and let's fight with them uh let's 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 push them out and not have them do not uh, not allow stupid things to happen like having our enemies train right before our very eyes or dig tunnels underneath of our cities that's just dumb Giving away your land in the Middle East to your enemies is dumb, and it and it it does not work. And so we don't need to argue about that. Uh, oftentimes, when I meet my leftist friends, I say, "Let's keep debating about how much socialism we should have, or how much education, or how much solar energy we should have." But let's not debate the question of giving away our land to enemies because that's dumb. And so, and so, yes, we should have and and simple bodily defense used to have a simple term that we did agree on. It was called "never again." And I think we could come back. We should come. We need to come back to that. The rest, yeah, you know what I mean? It's all open for discussion. But there's certain things that are like your, your, your basic, your, your basic, your, your basic self-defense, your basic right to self-defense. And we, we have now been struck so hard. Our very core, our very core sense of, of the safety of our day-to-day has been, as we say in Hebrew, how do we yeah. say that in English? Shaken. Uh, shaken. And, and, and 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 our trust in our intelligence service and in the army, it's all been shaken very deeply. And we have a uh, we we I don't like to say we have a right. We we must. We have fight. a duty. We have a duty. We must fight. And 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 if you want to argue with me, 
about that, then I have a, my, you know, the final line on that, which is, if we don't take care of business and don't push back on our enemies and disarm them in every way possible, then all we're doing is we're not debating and discussing. We're simply passing it to our children to fight. My children will be coming of age to be in the army, my, my boy, uh, you know, in, 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 in six years. And, and I know that given the way we're doing it right now, the, the Lebanon problem and others, the jihadism in our land, the no-go zones, the jihadism education in the schools, the blaring of the mosques with jihadism, all these things will be in his lifetime and he'll have to face it even a more intractable, harsher, more dug-in enemy. And so, okay, sometimes you have to, there are times, and that's called leadership, where you have to pause on the big debate of, uh, you know, the, the the big Jewish discourse and be like, okay, but this is the minimum. We, we Never again, we have a right to live in safety. So, I mean, I hear two things here. One is um, there's a sense that the the culture of constructive conflict and that that living discourse, which is really the heart of Torah, um, needs to also come home to the embodied reality of what it is to be an ethnic minority in the Middle East. And if we're not willing to build a container that can safely hold that discourse, meaning hold the walls and, and, and drive out from our midst the evil, then that discourse won't continue. And together with that, I hear uh, kind of an adaption of a saying that they, it's tossed around in the environmental movement. Nobody really knows who said it, but they say that the, you know, that the environment isn't something that we inherit from our ancestors. It's something that we borrow from our grandchildren. Hmm. So in, in, in a sense, you're saying the same thing, is that right now we're in our land and we're borrowing it from our grandchildren. And we have a duty, an obligation to them to do what needs to be done in order to secure it, in order that they can inherit it from us in a way in which we'll really bring the glory of our peoplehood and the Torah that we were meant to spread in the world. And that order and light, as you said, that stands against the chaos and evil that so many of our enemies gleefully uphold as their banner. So, you know, a, a last question before we wrap it up. Um, it's going to be tangential, but it's. It, it, by, the yeah. way, by the way, when you when you, I, I love that term. I love that environmentalist term. I, I want you to know that, like, I always when you start talking this way, it evokes very much to me uh, Noah's Ark. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's like the world was taken by chaos. That chaos, the word in the Torah for that was Hamas. It's an <laughs> ironic thing. Hamas is in the world, and this 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 kind of like the light of order was in Noah and he got to save the world that that's Israel Israel is here to kind of be that 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 ark that that defensive thing that that and 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 I, and I want to tell you that um sometimes sometimes Israel is like a Beit HaMikdash is like a temple and it's got a light to share with the world but other times it's like an ark like a Noah's ark where it kind of goes inside of itself defends itself until the storm passes and right now we've got a darkness in the world and we've got to defend ourselves, make sure that the storm passes. Then we will, the, the ark will settle again and the, the light of Israel will come out. So, so good. I want to I end on the note of call, a call to action um, because right now I'm in the midst of uh, the pre-launch of the new project for me, the Jewish Heroism Project. And as that, I've developed a definition for, for Jewish heroism, which is Mesirut Nefesh the Ma'an Tov. A a going beyond one's limited self for the sake of the good. We'll just leave it at that. So as someone who has spent literally decades in, in every uh, environment imaginable, on every type of media platform, physical, virtual, or otherwise, 
fighting the narrative war. What is it the average person can do to go beyond themselves, even the, own, the slightest bit, in order to bring this war to fruition and really spread the tove, the goodness that we're meant to do? So my, my good friend Eugene Kantorovich, you know, always tells me that a, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah. And uh, we, have, uh, we have a crisis right now. And crisis and, and Ruff Cook, you know, brings out the crisis or war is a time where the light of Mashiach uh, 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 comes into the world. This, there's a horrific crisis now. It's actually bigger than we understand it. That's what I think. I think it's bigger. And I, I, know in my, I even think that it's bigger than I understand it. That's, that's my, my, my gut feeling. And, um, and this crisis uh, is one that, it, that the, the foundations of the state of Israel are shaking. Interestingly enough, Noam Arnon, my, Dr. Noam Arnon, my, my colleague in Hebron, showed me that in the Sephardic sitters, it says that, that we pray for Mashiach, but we have to be careful that the... Mashiach ben Yosef will not be killed at the end of times. Mm -hmm. I think what that means is that the state of Israel and secular Zionism that founded the state is leaving the scene, but we've got to make sure that doesn't totally crack. It's not a collapse. Right, that, it's, that, it's an, that we evolve. Remembering that one of the visions of Mashiach the sages had is that there'll be no two stones standing for a thousand years and it'll be plenty quiet. Right. <laughs> uh, we we want to be we want to make sure that I'd like to be around happen. to see it. Right, let's, we, well, we want to transition into a Davidic period and, and ironically... Ironically, I think that your question is, is spot on, but ironically, why? Because a lot of times people feel like, what can I do in this big battle? The truth is, it's actually a battle on the individual level. It's actually every person is going to be an important player right now. So everything that you can do from, first thing is teach the, your kids the narrative. You know, Have Jewish kids, teach them the narrative. Okay? Learn Torah. Learn Torah. And I tell, and whenever I speak with my non-Jewish friends, I always say to them, you guys are all products of one simple thing, a mama who taught you the Bible. And, and, they're, and they're always like, you're right. I'm, you know what I mean? And so mamas, teach your kids the Bible. Teach our story. And teach don't let our, them grow up to be cowboys. <laughs> teach our story. They could, they could be, you know, be Jewish cowboys. They could be uh, West Bank cowboys, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, so teach the narrative. And then out there, strength. If, it, let's say, for example, if you have a kid in America that's going to go to college. Well, don't send him to a, a college where he's going to be brainwashed. Send her to a, to a place where, where she's going to be strengthened. Okay, make sure there's either an excellent Chabad or not a lot of anti-Semitism. I don't know what Yeshiva University. But think or about even that better. as much as the academic standards. That's right. That's right. So so that's very serious because your kid has been invested so much into, and now now to lose her, it's it would be a, a horrible shame. Send her to the right place. Okay. Uh, uh, right now, let's strengthen our Judaism. I was on a show in in New York just now, a talk show, and the guy's like, "I'm, you know, I'm nominally Jewish, but this thing has made me into a prouder Jew than I've ever been. I never go to synagogue. I'm going to two shuls this Shabbat." He told me on the radio. He says this, and I was like, "Yes, that's a great spirit. You know, we have to strengthen our Judaism right now. We have to strengthen it. We have to marshal our resources. I'm helping bring a whole Yeshiva University student group." Next week to the land of Israel, they're coming as, as real volunteers and, and, and they raise the money. And this is going to change their life because they're going to come in in, in in this moment. And then take baby steps. Take, take, take the steps, I say, like, you know, drink wine from the land of Israel and, and say l'chaim to it. Here in Israel, a, a bigger, the bigger challenge is, um, is that we've got to start to, we've, we've, we, we can't just put a, a Band-Aid on this thing right now. We've got to let it crack some more, and then and heads have got to roll, and we've got to create a sea change where we see things a little bit differently. And so I say right now that all of us 
have to do two forms of tshuva, two forms of repentance. One is the simple one, which is a little bit more God in your life, more Sabbath, more unity. And I'm going to say something which is not popular, which is a little bit more a proper dress. Let's let's bring ourselves up a little bit. Jabotinsky's well, notion of hadar. Yes. A, yes. a certain dignity yes. and nobility. Yes, very much. I've, I've felt that. I've felt that this is important now. We have to come back to being a, a holy people a little bit. Uh, so there's tshuva. Unity is maybe the biggest one of them all in tshuva. But Shabbat has become an important thing, I think, through this process. I don't want to get into it, but Shabbat... Uh, a unity and uh, as Meaning you say hadar take action on the personal level right a, a, as a jew that's what i'm saying the whole thing the, everyone is in this war right now and the other one is tshuva of stopping to do stupid things no more letting our enemies practice right in front of our eyes and digging underneath tunnels no more allowing unra to teach arab kids jihadism we've got to stop doing stupid things if our enemies are building rockets and we know about it we got to stop them we've got to call on our government no more Stupid things. No more allowing our enemies to to no more take heads over. in the sand. No more heads in the sand. And if this, if the mosque is, if mosque is blaring jihad, if the school books that the Arab kids are reading is jihadist, if the rate, if there's a radio TV station that's pushing out jihadism out of Ramallah, we got to close that down. We got to be real about that. And finally, within the narrative war, we've got to embrace a strong Jewish narrative. Recognize that the other narratives are trying to weaken us. Uh, and and broadcast our narrative without without needing having a great need to suck up and make sure that everybody likes us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a fine line there. Sure, broadcast the narrative, give people strength, bring people that are on our side in. But don't pander. Don't pander. Don't do it because that's that itself is a very weak narrative. So those are three directions I think, and I think every single one of us are, is in this war. I think other people have said, and it's true, we're all soldiers right now. But listen, there's your call to action. That going beyond your limits can happen as a more Jewish life, as a more engaged narrative life, and most importantly, like you said, as you know, sticking together one another and being a whole people. Yishai Fleischer, international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron and narrative warrior extraordinaire and good friend. Thank you so much for taking the time. If people want to know more about the work you do, where should they go? com or just type in Yishai Fleischer. Don't even spell it right because Google will do it for you. That's right. You'll probably get a gun to nasty comments as well. Don't worry. You'll find me there. And, <laughs> and I'm on social media out there and uh, and uh, doing my part to, to podcast, uh, to, to get out the message. Uh, and, of course, I always welcome people to visit us uh, at uh, in Hebron at the, at the foundations of our narrative, the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, which is always under the gun, but such a special place that really gives you a shot of uh, the narrative of our people. It is the oldest story after all. Well, thank you so much for joining me. All right. That was our Very conversation with uh, myself and Rev Mike Foyer at JewishHeroism.com. Uh, and I think a lot of important points there. Maka, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's been a long week for you, and I know that you are going to be cooking for some yeah. 16 guests for lunch, including the uh, the Cowboys. The Cowboys. The Cowboys. Not the Dallas Cowboys. No. The Montana and Arkansas Cowboys. Right. The, 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 the pro-Israel Goyim. Yes. The nations that are I'm coming to the land. Of course you're looking forward. It's going to be awesome. I'm Although, ecstatic. you know what we haven't done, Yusha? I want to work on this. What's that? There's also a group of firefighters from Miami. They are here in Israel. I want to find those people. Dude, come on. Get on it. We got to find them. Let's do it. If yeah. anyone out there has contacts with the Miami firefighters, you got to send it to us. Oh, come on. Ishai, how do people reach you? 
yishaiyishaifleischer.com. Uh, and I want also, there was, there was somebody that unsubscribed from the buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And the comment was that Yishai is not reading the comments from buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. Boy, that made me feel bad. Also, like, hit me when I'm down in the time of war. Brother, I'm here. I'm, I'm so grateful for every, every coffee, which is like five bucks. Every coffee makes such a difference in my life. And it gives me such nachas and joy. So please come back to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. It makes a real difference. And, of course, if you want to also support various things, including the hilltops and beautification, all kinds of stuff that we're doing during the war, I made a new website also, which is fightforisrael.org, the four being a numeral, fightforisrael.org, okay? And that, uh, that's a way to support a lot of the stuff that's happening right now. Um, I also want to really encourage people to visit hebronfund.org, hebronfund.org. We're trying real hard out there to protect the mamas and the papas. So be part of the mamas and the papas in the Jewish community that's struggling to continue to hold on. Uh, We've taken a big blow in terms of tourism and other things. So help us out. uh, Help out the Jewish community. Be part of it because this is the oldest Jewish community in the world and uh, the seat of King David's first capital, the first purchase of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, and of course the tomb of the fathers and mothers. So many important things. Have such such a zechut to work for Hebron. Uh, really, what a what a what a schud I have! I'm I'm so thankful. Katonti, I'm smaller than that. Sometimes people are like, "Isha, you're famous." I'm like, "No, I work for really famous people, though." <laughs> and that's uh, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, I work for very famous people: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those they're famous, okay? And the mamas, of course. Um, okay, Malkale, it's uh, it's a it's a special time. Yeah, and uh, I th- I think it was Rev Mike or somebody else who told me that. Um, during wartime for Israel, the light, the Rav Cook says, the light of Mashiach appears. The light of Mashiach appears. And, and there is a light. I can feel that's the other side. There's a darkness and there's a break and there's a, an Amalek's out and its fangy teeth are out. You know what I mean? And, and yet there's like a light of Mashiach out there. Do you feel it, Malka? Yeah, I do. Uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like there's something that's being awakened that hasn't been awake for a long time. Well, I also want to recommend that people like get close to the most godly of all places, which is the Temple Mount. So ch- check out highontheheart.com, highontheheart.com, and see if even if now there's still tours on the Temple Mount that are happening right now. It's weirdly odd or oddly weird that right now you could actually go to the Temple Mount and it's quiet and good. My mom, God bless her soul, keeps posting pictures of herself on the Temple Mount. I should go to the Temple Mount ASAP. I really should. Have it, I don't think I've been there throughout this whole war. My mom's been there like... Many times throughout the war. I think it's time to go to the Temple Mount. So highontheheart.com is definitely an important thing. Uh, we also have other friends like like our good friends at retrowatchguy.com. They've made it to the land of Israel. Yeah, they made it to the land of Israel. That's Welcome. Right. I'd like to hear more about them. And there's <laughs> this also- This is their first war. This is, by the way, <laughs> I just want to say that, that for a few people out there, this is your first war. And I want to say, first of all, congratulations. Okay, you're really Israeli now. But secondly, I want to say, I'm sorry. This is a real doozy to have as your first ever war. A lot of people cannot relate to what I'm talking about. In Israel, being in wars is something that you do. This it's, happens. There's a word for that. It's a French word, and my, my good friend Eric is going gonna, is gonna to kill me for butchering it, but it's rite de passage. Rite de passage. Which got a is, lot of French going on this yeah, show. You know, I? I love I love like political words in other languages. Huh. I just I just very into that. I love those things. So a rite de passage is called in English 
much rite more of passage. Rite of passage. It's a little more bland. It's, yeah, but it works. Yeah, it works just fine. And and it's a rite of passage. Yeah, to go so through you've a war been through wars, but this war for even your seasoned Israelis. Oh yeah, is like another thing. So it's not really fair that you had to come and make Aliyah and then and then go through it at like the most hardcore level. But I guess you're really hardcore. So congratulations. Well, on you're that. not hardcore unless, unless you, you live, live hardcore. hardcore, and that's that's something I believe. Um, I want to tell you, Malka, that this week's Torah portion is called Toldos. It's a very important Torah portion. It's got in it the famous scene of the uh, blessings that are quote unquote stolen by Jacob, received from from um, from Yitzchak. Yitzchak sending it in the, down the right channel, which is so to Yaakov. Hard. This is a very hard instead parsha. of Esav. It's amazing stuff, but but I but I don't want to talk about that so much, even though I could talk about forever on that. That's like I'm I'm fascinated by that topic. But there's one line that I want to tell you about Philistines. Okay. One line about Philistines. It says about it says this uh, about about Isaac. I'll read it to you in Hebrew. I'll translate. and Isaac sowed. In that land, which is Gerar, and and he found that year a one hundred gates. What means hundred measures? Of course, a very famous part of Jerusalem is called Measharim. It comes from this term, Measharim. And God blessed him. Hold on, my my thing turned off. Okay, the man grew. The man grew and he grew exceedingly until until he grew a lot. And he had lots of cattle. Uh, no, 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 not a uh, flock, uh, lots of flock. Sheep, yeah. cattle, and many servants. And the Philistines were jealous of him. And all the wells that the servants of his father, in the days of Abraham, his father, satmum plishtim v'imalum afar. They were stuffed up by the Philistines and filled with dirt, with, with earth, with dust. He opened up again those wellsprings. Philistines stop up wellsprings. They don't share the water they don't take over the water. They just stuff up well springs. And that is an epitome of, of what Philistines do. They are a source of anti-blessing, anti-channels. Instead of opening a channels of goodness, channels of, of prosperity and light and education and flowing water and living life, they are people that are, they are the epitome of entropy, of chaos, of 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 a dark force in this world and that is what we're facing today we're facing up and once a british general said very famously that the uh, he said about the arabs that they're not the sons of the desert they're the fathers of it and and here i'm talking specifically about the jihad and not about arabs or palestinians i'm talking about jihadists the jihadists and that ideology which does infect affect infect arabs who then become Palestinians, which is nothing but a jihadist name for Arabs living in this region. I'm going to write that. I'm going to write that. Remind me to write that. Palestinians is nothing but a jihadist name for Arabs in this region. Mm. Right? And, and that is what we're facing today. And the Torah tells us that, uh, that Yitzchak 
was able to open up those wellsprings that were stuffed up after after the Philistines. After Abraham left, the Philistines stopped them up. It's time for the Jewish people to be back home and to unstop those wellsprings of God's blessings in this world. And Hashem, give us koach, please, to continue to do great things. Uh, as I read these verses, I think about my good friend Aaron. And my good friend Aaron, he's, he's a great Torah reader. And he's didactic about the way I pronounce sometimes the Hebrew phrases, so I, I got I got Eric to watch out for my for my French and and and, and those phrases, and then I got Aaron for Psukim, and Aaron is also the purveyor of koshercyclecours.com, and he's doing a great job there. I don't know if he's doing any tours right now, but you know it's time for our tour for our kosher cycle tour. All right, folks, and we also have another segment today, a very special segment, and that is our intrepid reporter and thinker Ben Bresky, telling us about the big rallies. That have happened over the years for Israel. This is I thought when he when he came up with this idea to do a retrospective on the rallies, I got really excited. That's cool. The rallies. That is a very Jewish thing. Yeah, the rallies that have happened and have made a difference. So here's Ben Bresky on pro-Israel rallies. This is a moment in Jewish history. This week, hundreds of thousands attended a rally in Washington, D.C. to support Israel. Solidarity rallies and prayer vigils in times of crisis have happened many times in the past. The following is a brief overview of some memorable large-scale events held in the United States Capitol. In 1943, the Rabbis' March took place in Washington, D.C., with more than 400 rabbis participating as representatives of the Jewish people. The march was sponsored by the Emergency Committee to Save the Jewish People of Europe, the main organizer being Peter Bergson, known in the land of Israel as Hillel Cook, nephew of the chief rabbi Avraham Yitzhak Cook. The delegation of rabbis met outside the Capitol with Vice President Henry Wallace and members of Congress. After prayers at the Lincoln Memorial, the rabbis walked to the White House. The event took place three days before Yom Kippur. Rabbi Isaac Horwitz led the memorial prayer for the dead of Europe. The group joined in prayer for the U.S. President and the United Nations. They sang the Star-Spangled Banner in Hebrew. They submitted a petition calling for the United States to create a special agency to save Jews in German-dominated territories and called upon the British government to keep the doors of the land of Israel open for immigration of Jews from Europe. The following is a brief recording. That our most gracious President Franklin Delano Roosevelt consider and recognize this momentous hour of history and the responsibility which the Divine Presence has laid upon him, that he may save the remnant of the people of the Book, the people of Israel. And we pray that the Lord may aid us to gain complete and speedy victory on all fronts against our enemies, and that we may be blessed with everlasting peace. In June of 1967, General Nasser of Egypt threatened to push the Jews into the sea, and the other surrounding countries were gearing up for war against Israel as well. Many solidarity vigils around the world were organized, but those vigils turned into victory celebrations after Israel's stunning success in only six days. One of the largest was in Washington, D.C., in which over 50,000 people attended. 
Among those who spoke were not only Jewish leaders, but also those from the civil rights movement, including Whitney Young, president of the National Urban League, who told the audience that his community in particular can sympathize with those who are displaced, who face the loss of their homes, and whose sovereign integrity is threatened. The speakers also included A. Philip Randolph and was organized by Dr. Joachim Prince, chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, both of whom had spoken several years earlier at the March on Washington with Dr. Martin Luther King. A statement by House Speaker John McCormick was read, in which he said he would continue to do everything in my power to see that the fruits of military victory are not defeated in the field of diplomacy, and that the national interest of the United States calls for a strong support of Israel, because the national interest of Israel is consistent with the national interest of our own country. In December of 1987, the Freedom Sunday for Soviet Jews took place in Washington. At the time, it was recorded to be the largest Jewish rally ever held there. Among the speakers was Natan Sharansky, the famous refusenik who was jailed by the Soviet authorities. How many times I heard that it is impossible to make American Jews to come in hundreds of thousands to Washington in winter. And here you came and winter retreated. How many times from the very beginning of our struggle we heard that it is impossible to open the gates of the Soviet Union. And we didn't listen to these voices. And we struggled and you demonstrated and you struggled and that's why quarter of a million Jews were released and that's why I and other prisoners of Zion today are free, today are here. Mr. Gorbachev today destroyed one more Jewish demonstration in Moscow. But Soviets for us have to know that no missiles and tanks, no camps, and prisons can extinguish the light of candle of freedom. In 2002, a large rally was held during the wave of terrorist attacks that killed numerous Israeli civilians. The Washington Post recorded that the crowd voiced vigorous defenses of the country's right to strike back against terrorist bomb attacks against Israeli civilians. The mass rally was organized in only one week, and demonstrators urged the United States to stand with Israel at a time when its military actions were being denounced around the world. Among the speakers was Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel, who won a Nobel Prize for his writings. My dear friends, this day will be remembered in the history of American Jewry. In the years to come, your children and grandchildren will hear you tell the story of this gathering. And simply you will then say, I was there. From near and far, by plane and by train, by bus and on foot, 
We have come together here today, young and old, Jew and non-Jew, not only to proclaim our solidarity with the State of Israel, its citizens and its soldiers, but also to voice our fervent support of President Bush's war on terrorism. This time, both America and Israel know how real is the threat and how ugly the face of the enemy. This is a peril both nations have to confront. The only difference is that at this moment, Israel fights for her existence. We are here to let the Jewish state and its brave, beleaguered citizens and its valiant soldiers know that they are not alone. If you were at any of these rallies in the past, or a different one, send me an email at bbrusky at gmail.com. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. And Shalom. All right, Ben. Thank you so much. You are the man. That and was interesting. That's right. That's the rallies that uh, the Jewish people have uh, rallied for Israel. The statements. My parents, of course, were uh, released from the Soviet Union, in part due to the Triple SJ, uh, students supporting Soviet Jewry uh, rallies. Triple SJ. If you talk about the, if you talk to the old timers around here, they say, yeah, the Triple SJ. That's what we were. And I'm like, yeah, Triple SJ. Better than the USSR is the Triple SJ. Right. With that, Malka Fleischer, I just want to thank you very much for making time tonight. And I want to send out a big, fat blessing to everybody. I'm talking about the biggest darn blessing that I've ever done on the show. <laughs> I'm talking about something huge right. right now. We got to overcome right now. We need the biggest blessings we have ever gotten in this, in, this, in this history that I know of this life. This is the big one. And we need everything we got. We got to marshal everything. Now, at the same time, I want to caution you. Don't burn out. This is a long game. Yes. But at the same time, we got to marshal everything. And we got to ask Hashem, we need you. We need you. We need you right now. We need your strength inside. We need faith in you. We need, a, we need a light in you. We need a power to fight in your name right now. Give us koach. Give us koach to fight in your name in the name of netzach, of eternity, of victory. And we need right now a fire and a burning love and a passion and a rage and, and, and an embrace and a holding on. And we've got to make big decisions and big steps. And we need a lot of, we need courage we need so much courage right now, and that's if, if it wasn't for that, then why was this all created for? This attack was nothing for an opportunity for us to be courageous and to grow and to, and to also open up channels. Instead of closing channels, we've got to open up those channels, open up those channels of, of, of financial success for this land and open up the channel for, for a bigger land, for a, grown, grow, a, a growing fuller, of our land, a right. fuller land, uh, a greater land, shall we say, greater Israel, a greater Israel in every single way. A greater in every single way. That's what we have to be from this thing. So I want to bless you all to be part of this moment. It's a moment of revelation. The strike was like a was like a was like a was like a punch to the gut of a of a pre, of an un, to me in my lifetime an almost unprecedented thing. Maybe the Holocaust was was bigger. That wasn't in your lifetime, right? I'm saying, but like boom. But right, right. now we got to get back up like a like a like a lion the Lion of Israel, and get back and get back to our land, push back on our enemies, realize what we've kind of, where we've fallen asleep, and awaken inside spiritually, physically, and common sensely. And that's what we need right now. And I want to bless everybody. I want to thank the folks that make the show happen. Moshe Herman, Tabitha, Yocheved Seidman, Ben Bresky, and Lou. Oh my gosh. 
so many good people that make this show happen. All the good folks that make this show happen, I want to thank them so much. Maka Fleischer, I want to thank you and bless you that you continue to be the mom and the wife and the lady and the power that you are. We need lady power right now. Lady so power. badly. Thank you, Hashem, for every single moment and every single opportunity. And help us not disappoint you, Bizrat Hashem. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Lots of love and shalom from the land of blessings. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>